0: Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us after the hiatus last week for his travel schedule. Uh, our final weekly update of five seven seven five. Malcolm, welcome back to JM and the AM.
1: Thank you. Always
0: good to be with you. How did it go last week? Can you tell us anything about the trip?
1: Uh, well, let's just say I was in an Arab country, and I was. It went very well. Um, the the concern that we all feel in. In uh, regard to the Iran deal, I can tell you, is echoed, and it's not even uh,
0: amplified
1: in uh, in other parts of the world, and especially in the countries in the Middle East and uh, beyond.
0: Right. It's, It's interesting, and it's funny. In other words, you're meeting people in the Arab world, let's say, who are against the deal and fearful of it, yet they really cannot express this publicly, right?
1: Well, some of them do in, in modified ways. Some even come out and, and are interpreted as being supportive, when in fact uh, they're just saying, you know, this is a reality we're living with. But in, in, the, in, in the real world, they are very upset about it, and they, they are concerned because of the ramifications, uh, which I, I tell people all the time, the, the votes that have taken place is not, uh, the end of this deal and and people shouldn't be depressed about the, the outcome obviously we're unhappy with uh, with what has happened but far more than that the, the, we need the energy now to make sure that Iran will not be allowed to, to, to violate the deal that we will hold everybody to account that the that new restrictions are being uh, new sanctions other things are being uh, contemplated and could uh, could come into effect, and and I think you will see that as Iran makes clear its positions, the statements yesterday uh, that the um, Ayatollah said we will not change in any way our attitude towards the United States, we will not negotiate anything else, and in fact turned down the notion uh, this past week of an embassy, which means that somebody must have approached him, because otherwise why would they? Deny it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their statements about dealing with arrogance, which is the pseudonym for the the U.S. and of course the destruction of Israel, uh, remains unchanged. So here we have empowered them, and in all likelihood, providing them with tens of billions, if not hundreds of billions of dollars, over the next years. And the, the real challenge will now come. Obviously, had we been able to, to stop this, to, to see changes made, to rewrite the laws, to get real access to the secret agreements, to other things, uh, it would have been better. We would have a, a, a clearer picture, but we know the reality of what we're confronting, and the... Uh, expansive goals beyond just a nuclear program.
0: All right, Understood. And we have a lot to talk about in that regard in terms of the future of sanctions and the future of each part of this deal, if any of them could possibly be eliminated down the road. Um, but, but first, in terms of this whole procedure, so now we know that in Washington, basically it's over, and uh, this deal is going to go through, and I'm sure the White House is very happy. Uh, but there are some people who really took a stand over the last few weeks. I mean, you have not been... Uh, um, uh, short on praise for any of them. I mean, some of the public officials in this country, including from our area, including Senator Menendez, Senator Schumer, and others have been incredible. I, I think, I don't think we've had a chance because we haven't spoken in two weeks. I don't think we've had a chance to speak about Senator Booker. I characterized his decision as disappointing because of his very close relationship with the pro-Israel community. And sometimes when you know or have a strong feeling that someone really gets it, and yet, it seems they voted the other way. That could be disturbing. Did you have the same type of reaction to Booker's decision?
1: Well, I think that it, it's a, a disappointment. I think is the right word. And the um, the fact that they waited so long, that he said he spoke to thousands of people, consulted with thousands of experts, etc., which I think has got to be a bit of an exaggeration. Um, and and the the uh, nature of the statement that he issued which was more critical of the deal than those who have come out against the deal. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that characterizes many of those who have, have supported the, the, the uh, deal and voted with the, the administration on it. Many of their statements point up the flaws, the, their, their reasons, for, um, uh, the reasons for, for which they should, in fact, be opposing it. And his statement went very far in that direction. And I think the, the, the mistake is this is not because of his ties to the pro-Israel community. This is not about Israel. This is about the United States. This is about our security, the security of our children and our grandchildren. They don't need ballistic missiles to attack Israel. Why are they building them? They're building them to hit the United States, hit Europe. And today they already have the capacity of much of Europe. So we have to, and, and we have tried all along and worked assiduously to get the focus off of Israel, and off of this as a Jewish issue, because it is not. It is an American issue, and the fact is that the American people brilliantly uh, see this, and despite all of the heavy investment to support this bill, and the investment against it, obviously, only 21 percent of the American people support this bill in the, in the poll last this past week. And the, the polling has remained uh, the, the pattern of diminishing support. It's been pretty consistent. And pretty widespread in, in polls, so the American people get it. They don't trust Iran. They don't trust this deal. They recognize the loopholes, and I'm afraid that we will find out more and more.
0: And this uh, the is argument
1: they they presented is that they had no alternative, and that uh, if you back off uh, of this, you'd leave a vacuum and chaos, etc. But and that the Europeans would not go back to the table, etc. But the fact is that if the United States Holds to it. It is, was the sanctions that Congress, not the administration, Congress put forward, and that the administration supported and the administration sanctioned some Hamas people just yesterday. It is the American sanctions that brought everybody to the table, mostly the Iranians.
0: Mm-hmm. On the point of the twenty-one percent, by the way, and, that, and that's while at the same time, the entire summer, it seems, and again, we could argue this, it seems that the mainstream media in the United States was pushing for the deal, or at least, you know, touting it, the, the greatness of it, and still only 21%, as you said, came through um, with support of it here in the United States. Uh, by the way, Hillary, very similar to what, well, I shouldn't say very similar, it, it, in the same vein, uh, the way she approached it this week, very strong, you know, came out for the deal, but again, very strong language against Iran, so it's like, you know, you'd think that there'd be unwavering support from someone like her for the deal, but even she had language that was, you know, very critical of Iran.
1: She did, and she, uh, I think, was somewhat uh, uh, disassociating themselves uh, herself uh, from the absolute position of the administration. Right. Um, but I think the, the, the fact is that she, she supported, which nobody was surprised at, and the revelations this week that, in fact, was under her leadership of the State Department when some of the negotiations began, I don't know that, that it would have led uh, to the conclusion that they reached because she has always been tougher on the Iran issue.
0: And we should note that today, of course, is 14 years to the day on the secular calendar of 9-11. And uh, ironically, all this happens this week and we wonder if the world has really changed and what direction we're going in and has anybody learned a lesson. And all of that, of course, hangs over this uh, 14th anniversary. So well, I
1: think that it's, it is a, uh important reminder today because we know that iran is the major state sponsor of terrorism there's nothing in this bill that addresses the terrorism and the idea that you can separate that you can deal in some uh, isolated way with the nuclear program and not look at the linkage because the release of funds even if a small percentage of it let's say it is 52 billion this year as the administration's, or, and some officials have said, others say, you know, it's up to 150000000000 billion. It'll be hundreds of billions, perhaps, over the next years. A small percentage, a $1 billion, $2 billion, $3 billion, changes the terrorism situation because terrorist organizations don't need vast amounts of money. Uh, Hamas gets some money from, uh, uh, especially the Al-Quds military uh, guys, um, terrorists, the uh, Hamas, Hezbollah gets a lot of money, the Houthis, the others, their support for, for Assad's troops, etc. So a billion dollars, a couple billion dollars can make a huge difference. And we know that they have tried to, to, to get more and more sophisticated equipment to Hezbollah. And uh, there have been all sorts of flirtations again with Hamas, which, which whom, with whom they've been estranged over the Syrian war. So the consequences for global terrorism could be very severe and it's not just in the middle east iran's involvement in africa and south america uh, we've discussed it and we get more and more evidence all the time of their expanding efforts activities and these 30 or 40,000 agents that they have there are not there you know to give uh, medical advice and the the um, uh, the two ramifications of, of the bill and the fact that iran it does not dismantle anything that Iran can can boast of. It's humiliating the um, its interlocutors, the West, the great powers, which is what they're saying. This is exactly what Khamenei, what the Rouhani wrote after his negotiations with Europeans. He mocked them, and you will see more and more of these kind of statements saying and and a message that they that they won, that they were able to to stand up to the West to and emerge
0: I stand up but be putting it mildly manipulate the west
1: confront the west and and, and manip- manipulate them and that and if you remember when i got into trouble for calling them bazaris right. you know Iranian never had a problem with but that uh, I, and and what i meant is these people have been uh, uh, skilled at negotiations for 2000 years that they, they've called themselves bizarre they have stood up to it uh, to now to the west and and out negotiated them, at the very least, uh, by the evaluation of many. Look, uh, it's not that there's nothing good here, but there's uh, certainly, um, I think, a general consensus that we could have gotten a better deal.
0: Yeah, and and just a a point about the first thing you said in that that answer is that um, just reminding everybody, as you've told us many times in terms of the cash, in terms of the money, Sometimes we don't realize how inexpensive it is to carry out terrorist attacks. You know, many of us think it's always these sophisticated operations to the point that it costs millions of dollars. And as you've pointed out, you have millions of dollars, you're going to be able to do a lot of damage down the road.
1: And, and billions. Right. And then, and the, the um, you know, the ability to get more equipment, to get to, to do dig tunnels, to expand. And we know that Iran is expanding its presence in the Golan in, in uh, Syria, um, and the, you know, they keep Hezbollah there, they want it intact as a as a deterrent for Israel to considering any kind of an action. Uh, the, the 100,000 missiles that Hezbollah has are all uh, traced to, to Iran, let alone the destabilizing efforts across the region and around the world.
0: Right. Yeah, my point was that if you think you need a million dollars to carry out an attack, you need, you know, much, right. much, much, much less than that. By the way, and I know, I, 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 I'm i sure it makes you uncomfortable when I bring it up, but maybe this will be the last time because, you know, obviously this battle for now is over. But certain Jewish leaders, when they get into the newspapers and offer their opinion, and it's on this side of the issue or or the other side, whatever you want to call it. You know, former members of the, you know, former chairs of the conference of presidents, former directors of APAC, and you know what kind of battle APAC, whether we want to acknowledge it publicly or not, you know what kind of money they put in, what kind of battle they fought over the last few weeks. It's just, again, maybe the word is disappointing, but you'd think that somebody who, who, who built his, his Jewish life on, you know, being the leader of APAC would think twice before, you know, publicly being part of an ad that comes out pro the deal. But whatever I don't know if you want to respond to that but
1: well I think look the, the polls and there's one that will come out today shows that the Jewish community essentially is split uh, we often find that the Jewish community the, the general populace is more against the deal than the Jewish community and people are entitled to whatever view they want if they have studied it if they understand the consequences if they realize what will happen from this and, and they're entitled to be everywhere along the spectrum and we shouldn't denigrate people if they come out with legitimate positions Right. Uh, but i think you're right people have to think what are the consequences of their actions of their words words count we, we, we learned that in all of these parishes. what difference words can make even one word can make and to the pressure that has been brought to bear in this case is unprecedented Uh, administration that is engaged in this, and you have to say that they successfully um, engaged Congress, a Congress with whom they've had very little. Most of the senators, congressmen, said this was the first time they heard, but they heard often the president's frequent briefings to Jewish organizations, Jewish leaders, rabbis yesterday again, and in which he talked about uh, looking forward to a meeting with Bibi, Kerry, Secretary Kerry, uh, spoke to, to Prime Minister Netanyahu yesterday. They talked about the need to push back on the destabilizing Iranian influence in the region. Uh, the president uh, spoke about the, the commitments, etc. One of the important things is that we get the U.S.-Israel relationship back on track, meaning that the perception of the relationship, especially in the region, has to be that the U.S. and Israel, despite having had these differences, are uh, that the special relationship emerges out of this, that we see them working together, that Israel's new security needs are, in fact, addressed, not by some of the old uh, commitments, but new commitments, and especially negotiating the 10-year um, MOU memo, memo of understanding, but Israel's uh, securing the, up till now, th- $3 billion plus a year, that Israel will need more when they will need uh, more advanced equipment to deal with uh, an empowered Iran or in and around that is empowering terrorist groups uh, in, in the region. So the, we have to parse out each of these things and think about now the longer term, and that's why you don't sever ties, why you don't sometimes, I know people be frustrated uh, whether people say exactly what they think, but you have to consider not just the moment, but you have to think about this in long term, and we are going to face many serious challenges we, we see it already at the U.N. yesterday, the decision to fly the Palestinian flag. So many things that are little, but are telling us. Yeah. About, these are warnings about what's lying across the horizon.
0: It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsor sponsored. WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Our final weekly update of 5775. Malcolm Hollein is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Talk more about that in a moment in terms of uh, repairing some of these relationships and the perception of the Israeli-American-Israeli relationship. But uh, we have to acknowledge, and you alluded to it earlier in this conversation, we, we have to acknowledge. And again, I'm sure someone in your position says there is so much more that can be done. But nonetheless. There are so many rabbinic leaders and so many community leaders and so many lay people out there across the country who did spend a lot of time this summer rallying, gathering, communicating with their public officials, and actually meeting face to face in groups with public officials, members of the United States House of Representatives and the uh, United States Senators. And we've got to acknowledge that, and we've got, got to take this onto the next battle, onto the next uh, uh, scenario when again this type of mobilization might be necessary.
1: And people should not feel that those efforts were wasted. They were not. You did the right things. You, you, this is what American democracy demands of us, that is to be involved, that you helped educate the American people, clearly reflected in these results, that you educated members of Congress, and that by uh, establishing a relationship, a credible relationship, it's also why we don't want to see extreme language used, but, but to, to express criticism in, in the proper way, to express support in the proper way, remember to thank people who do the right thing. But the, the process has been very important, and people should not now drop the ball, but should sustain it and make sure that we now press for some of the legislative initiatives that will come up for some of the other efforts. I think those who, who criticize um, organizations that really went out far out on the limb you know, many, many millions of dollars were spent. They were not wasted. Those ads will retain will be remain with people and when we see Iranian violations, I think that members of Congress who voted for this will be under greater pressure and as so many said, you know, you, you voted for it, you bought it. Well, you know, if you buy every piece of legislation you vote for it, but you there is a responsibility that I think they will feel and we have to continue to educate them, hold them to account uh, explain what, what all of these things mean. There are... I can't even talk about the whole array of issues today because we won't have enough time. I'll take us well past Jim Kemper. <laughs> but, the, but the the fact is that we are only in phase one of this. This is a long-term engagement, and people should not feel in any way dis, um, dissuaded from the efficacy of their engagement. The opposite. It should encourage them sustain the relationships, continue to to educate, continue
0: to build on it. And um, (laughs) I wonder if you're even going to react to this, but I'm going to say it anyway. (laughs) And for those who feel that we must unseat and defeat every member of the United States government that voted for the deal, we only have to unseat and defeat one to get the message across. So everybody keep that in mind. Only one has to be defeated of the high-profile members of the United States Congress in order to make the point. And Malcolm, I would assume you're not going to comment on that. <laughs> I didn't hear what you said. <laughs> <laughs> I figured as much. Prime Minister Netanyahu, what's his attitude? You've, you've spoken to him many times in the last few weeks, and it's obvious now that he knew for the last few weeks that there was no way in the world this deal wasn't going through. Uh, what is his attitude? How will he proceed in order to repair this public perception of the Israeli-U.S. relationship?
1: Well, he'll be coming here for the United Nations General Assembly during Aid And uh, as we heard yesterday, uh, the president was indicating that he would invite him to White House, I guess, because he won't be in New York anymore when the, uh, the prime minister gets here. Uh, I think that there will be a concerted effort to, to try and dampen down uh, uh, some of the tensions that, that have arisen is very important for the interests of both countries. It's very important that the countries in the region see it. It's not just that what the, the, the tenor is between the two of them. It's how it is perceived by Iran, by others, by Hezbollah, by Hamas, by all those. And we have escalating situations on a lot of the borders uh, of Israel. Um, the, the, um, uh, the, so the, the two have to... Look now to the future to see what Israel will get. How do they work together to assure full Iranian compliance? And what price will Iran pay if they violate it? What, uh, who, who will be on the front line? There are uh, not going to be many parties there.
0: And as the New York Times insists, is it deliberate on BB's part that he is avoiding certain words and terms and rhetoric now because he does want to do his part in terms of calming things down?
1: Because you know, at some point, you you know the reality. We know what the outcome of this will be. And, and again. The fight will continue until the last minute.
0: So his UN speech will not nearly be as strong against Iran as it's been the last couple of years.
1: I think it'll be stronger.
0: You do think so?
1: Oh, absolutely. So he'll use well, that forum to do that. As he perceives it is greater that Iran right. now will feel it has a license, and he's going to tell them neither do you have a license, but that the international community by uh, and the P5 plus one in particular. And the UN Security Council, which voted to the resolution, now bears a responsibility, a additional responsibility, not only a moral one but right. a practical
0: one. And that would mean then he'll he'll no doubt spend a lot of time, or a good amount of time, I would assume, on sanctions and other things that can be done.
1: On that, and I think on after the vote yesterday, you know, so overwhelming vote to allow them to raise the flag, though they don't have a state, and right. um, you know, it's just one of that series of erosionary uh, uh, events that that. Uh, uh, diminishes the the prospect of any kind of negotiations because they're gaining what they want without it. Abbas now threatening to resign, to, to leave. There's no successor. There's no succession. I don't think he's going to leave so quickly. He's playing the game with Tehran, but Tehran doesn't want to see him. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the Hamas is becoming more assertive and will try to put on a, a stronger show and threat of Iran to armed people in the west bank to create a third front for israel with what from lebanon hezbollah hamas and gaza and then in the west bank the israel has been uh, very careful to monitor all that and watch for any signs of it but you know we will see more aggressive actions on, on the part of iran which makes no effort to cloak their true aspirations and designs and talks about still death to America and death to Israel and annihilation of Israel, 25 years, that we know Israel, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, after some European leaders said, oh, they'll moderate their tone, and within a seconds they, they already uh, had not.
0: Interesting that B.B. utilized yesterday to declare how he's ready to head right back to the negotiating table at any preconditions at this point.
1: Well, he's been saying it all along, and there have been efforts, there have been some outreach, but the Palestinians have no interest in negotiating and i think that that's why you see some of the europeans have backed off of it uh... it is extremely regrettable that they're still talking about labeling west bank products so-called settlement products et cetera with special labels special things which is a precursor to boycotts. this is a a very dangerous move inappropriate they didn't don't do it in any other area disputed area in the world but the Europeans themselves, who had talked so much and that we're going to be efforts now to try and convene, and they will convene, uh, the Quartet plus the Arab states, Israel was not mentioned as being included in that invitation, uh, to talk about the Middle East, but I guess the broader Middle East, there, there's nobody who sees right now uh, the immediate prospect of Palestinian negotiations. They are in disarray, the internal disputes uh, within the PLO, within the... Uh, The PA are are worse than ever, and between them and Hamas. So the effort and the the, um, success in getting the symbolic victory, like the Palestinian flag, or the statements of recognition, uh, the marking of of products, these are all counterproductive. From the agenda that the very sponsors set of wanting to see a negotiated settlement.
0: All right, Malcolm. This refugee issue—who is more sensitive to the issue of refugees and the Jewish people and the people of Israel? Uh, it is. Um, it, it must be driving people like the prime minister, um, you know, a, a little crazy, not knowing exactly how Israel should respond to this, and knowing that when it comes to situations like this with desperate people in the world, Israel usually does respond in a very, very positive and active way. Um, and, and, of course, other countries are, uh, are making arrangements for a certain number of refugees. Uh, how, how is Israel going to deal with this, especially if the public perception continues that uh, they are not ready to step up and take in additional refugees?
1: So the, we again see the double, triple standard applied. W- which was the first country to render assistance? To Syrian refugees. You know that Israel treated 1,700 Syrians, including soldiers, who have been wounded or hurt during during this conflict in Israeli hospitals, paying for it all. None of these people are coming with insurance cards to pay for it. The, the, the hospital they set up along the border. In addition, you have things, organizations like Israel Aid and others who have been providing uh, assistance from Israel going into the refugee camps providing them with aid, which doesn't carry an Israeli flag, but, but comes from Israel uh, uh, since the very beginning of it. And I have seen it personally. I've seen what, what they're what they doing. They go along the Turkish-Syrian border at great risk, that if they were captured, you know, what their fate would be. So Israel has been doing its part. The idea that Israel should take in people. I haven't heard anybody say, why has Russia taken no one when they're mm. in large part responsible for the war? How come right. Iran is isn't being demanded to take in people, let alone the Gulf states, which have vast areas unused. They have a housing stock. They have ability to absorb people, certainly no financial uh, risk. I mean, the answer I saw from one was, one official was, we're too expensive here. It's too expensive to live here. What do you mean it's so expensive? That's the point you take in refugees and you, you subsidize, you help them. And I think that the real answer here lies in resolving the situation in Syria, so you don't have this immense outflow, because it's an endless supply. They're not just coming from Syria, they're coming from Iraq, they're coming from Afghanistan. You could have 5 million people, then you could have a much larger numbers coming. The 800,000 people coming into Germany will have a profound impact. Certainly we're sympathetic, and we understand what it means to be homeless. We, we want to see people help, but... We have to think also the long-term implications of this. So I think that the answer lies in, in resettling them in the region within countries that can accept. Israel, one has to remember, constantly is taking in people who are Jews who are, who are being chased, whether France, which is not a refugee population, right. but Ethiopians were, and, and the Iraqi Jews, Iranian Jews, others oh. were.
0: Yeah, don't have to convince me. I just wonder if, as this escalates and Israel's position becomes more well known, if it'll be a PR problem or not.
1: You know what? I I don't know why they have to answer it all the time. I I don't know why they just can't shut up. And and, you know, nobody else is asking. They're not asking. You know, many other countries. Where where are you on this issue?
0: Yeah, that's true. Maybe it is better to be silent on this. In terms of the battle in Washington, and you've told us that the day after, of course, there will be battles in Washington. So sanctions we discussed, and obviously there's a role that the United Nations and the United States government plays. Is there any other area of this whole Iran-U.S. relationship where you think there can be progress in some area over the next few months in Washington to either derail or adjust parts of this deal that people like yourself feel are a bad deal?
1: Absolutely. I think there are many uh, options that are being discussed, including uh, building on the sanctions that are not taken off, those sanctions for terrorism, for for. Uh, uh, the, uh, the, um, the other violations that they're engaged in that we can look for new areas, maybe even state legislation um, uh, continuing to hold them to account for terrorist attacks. And uh, this lawsuits, which I think uh, will end up again being a big issue because I think the deal uh, sort of commits the administration not to allow these, these uh, lawsuits, which I think is a violation, but uh, we'll have to see. Uh, there will be many ways and many areas in which we can try to to introduce new efforts there. Uh, Ed Royce, the chairman of the House Foreign Relations Committee, Corker, or many others, Senator Corker, many others have already been preparing uh, legislative initiatives, um, and, to the, and ones that would uh, raise the stake uh, on all this. By the way, I just wanted to say something which I think I found amazing in a report that came out the day before yesterday, uh, talking about russia not taking anybody right Russia today has a static population of 144 million the, the, the birth rate has gone down they're not replacing it's a much older population they have 21 million Muslims the majority of the conscripts in their military in the coming years will be the majority will be Muslims and remember many come from these outlying regions that are are uh, prone to, to, to radicalization. It's a it's a issue Putin raised with me already we discussed in nineteen ninety eight, but the the you know, we're looking at the demographic issues is really vital. And the longer term implications, not just today, tomorrow, next week, but next year, the year after, five years from now, these are are, are can change radically the situations in, in Europe and elsewhere.
0: That's why we're reading articles about the the questions that putin has about the future of russia frankly
1: the future of russia and his economy is weakened etc but they have vast areas that are not uh, settled and could take in people but he's looking at at this uh, situation and sees that his officer corps will be 40 percent um, Muslims, which is not in of itself bad but it depends if, if they're radical how do they how does that affect their foreign policy how does it affect their military policy, the engagement against, uh, let's say, radical Islamists in Chechnya and elsewhere,
0: and all the while, Iran knows that Russian influence—and as you just said, the uh, you know their, their their future with their future somewhat in doubt—their influence is going to start waning, and they can become the power in that region that they've always dreamt of.
1: And they are working together more and more closely. And uh, again, there's been. Stuff written and, and reports about the uh, uh, cooperation between them. Uh, one shouldn't d- dismiss it. That although that they they are enemies on a lot of fronts, and uh, you know that it, Putin has no tolerance for the kind of Islam that that uh, Ayatollah Khomeini propounds and, and uh, uh, advocates. Uh, the fact is that they find common interest in being against the United States. A common interest in that they sell them a lot of goods, a lot of material, a lot of war stuff. A common interest in maintaining Assad in in Syria. So there's an emergence of of an agenda, a common agenda there that would have been hard to predict uh, even a short
0: while ago. Unbelievable. Finally, um, what do you say to those who are analyzing the news and looking back at this summer and saying that APEC's influence in Washington is now very much diminished
1: no, I don't believe it's true. I don't believe that uh, this is a huge defeat. Could there things have been done differently? Everybody will, will examine it. Will look at it. Um, but as I said, look at the numbers of the American the polls of the American people. The the, the this was not uh, a uh, battle alone. I, again, as I said, I don't think it's a Jewish battle or an Israel battle. There's is a battle for American people. It's a battle for the future of the world. The the, the balances of power. The um, uh, certainly in, in the region, in the Middle East, but way beyond that. Uh, and I think one of the outcrops, the positive things you saw, was the opening of the Egyptian, the Israeli embassy in Egypt this week. Right. Not predictable very long ago, and the um, uh, and and there are uh, other things. There are new alliances. You see the the uh, Arab, some of the Arab countries uh, having clandestine or. Uh, even more visible contacts with Israelis uh, and with Israel and seeing it in a, in a different light, something no one can guarantee uh, will continue long term. So I do not think that the Jewish community, I think by conducting a campaign with dignity and in an appropriate ways, I think sometimes the excesses uh, were, were counterproductive in some of the, of the language, but the, the message that this is a vital issue for us, for future generations. Obligates us. I think the prime minister had had a responsibility. You can. There are people who are now arguing whether his speech to Congress or whatever, but nobody can deny that his speech to Congress elevated the issue, brought the focus of attention uh, to the issue. Speech at the United Nations. What what would have been? Where would these in the international community have been? Where what, what standards would they have set had Israel not engaged in this? If he had not been at the forefront, no one else was doing it. So. Uh, I think that the, 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 the worst conclusion, the wrong conclusion, is that uh, we were not efficacious, that, the, that we were defeated in some way. It was not so. It is not so, yeah. and it won't be so. And we have many battles to come in the future. AIPAC will be involved. Everybody else will be involved. I think people had a great learning experience, hopefully. Uh, there's still a lot of questions that will be answered and, and uh, challenges that will be uh, posited. But the worst thing is that we come out of this divided or, or depressed, rather than recharged. And as we go into the new year, especially, understanding that we have a, a responsibility, looking at the issues. These are responsibilities for future generations. It's not, it's not just for us. It's it's for a very long term. And the you know there are developments in the past year. Things that have changed. You see, uh, and, and some of these for the for the better.
0: Uh, the New Year's message is simple this year. We've learned, uh, based on the reports, that now the Jewish population of Israel is 6.3 million. And, Malcolm, when you hear the number 6 million affiliated with Jews, you don't normally think of good things. This is an unbelievable piece of news, and we continue to see the state of Israel thrive, and the Jewish people, thank God, enjoying what we have these chus, the privilege of enjoying during this era of history and why we were chosen to enjoy it, I don't know, but thank remember
1: God. Remember in 1948, 600,000. So when you look at that and where Israel started, and you know how many people emphasize that uh, you know Israelis leave. The fact is that all the studies that have come out show Israel amongst the five Israelis amongst the four or five most satisfied people, the most happy people, the most the best quality of life in in many respects. There are problems. Israel needs to focus on the domestic agenda as well. But it's first and foremost, responsibility unfortunately is that they have to invest so heavily. But despite that. You have all of these positives that emerge about the quality of life and about the the way Israelis feel towards Israel and and the rallying behind the Prime Minister across the board on this issue of Iran shows that ultimately we can be unified, mm. even with all of the differences and with disagreements, and they can criticize one another. Bottom line, they understand what's really important, mm. what, what the, where the future lies.
0: I take this opportunity to wish you a happy, healthy, and sweet new year. And I, you know, the, the, it's it, this was quite a year and. Um, and, yeah, I said it uh, at my mother's shloshim this week, uh, uh, util- utilizing this week's Parsha uh, and its sukkim in a very liberal way, and you'll see what I mean in a moment, that those who are not with us today are with us today. And who better than you have always given us that message, that as we go through life, make sure to remember that those who preceded us are with us today, with us to support us and with us to continue filter their advice and their directions so that we, Bezrat Hashem, could do the right thing in the coming year. Absolutely. Thank you so much. A happy, healthy, and it's sweet pleasure. New Year to you. you. Uh, Malcolm homeline Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, candlelighting 652 on this Erev Shabbos Parsha's Nitzavim. Our first weekly update of 5776 will be one week from today on Erev Shabbos Shuva